Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. There's a difference between the visible church and the true church. The true church are those of you who have made a true, not only profession of faith, but a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sin and I turn my life to Christ. A lot of people are part of the visible church, but they're not a part of the true church because the true church calls for commitment of a life. That's why Jesus so often said to take up your cross daily if you're gonna follow me. Have you ever met someone in a relationship who has a really hard time committing? Maybe it's going really well, you have tons of fun together, and you enjoy each other's company. All of a sudden, something changes, and they run in the other direction. Today, Pastor David will teach that this is true in our relationship with Christ as well, probably because it's hard and it takes work. However, if you're willing, the results are worth it, and the relationship will be the best that you have ever had. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Forsake and Follow. believed in him. They had, at, up until this point in time, they had simply been observers. And now, as they've moved in it, they're now at least committed supporters. They believed in him. It's shortly after this event that then we find Jesus and whichever disciples he has at this point, they go back to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passovers. This is the first trip to Jerusalem for the Passovers that the Gospels give us. This is the first of two times that Jesus turns over the tables and cleans out the temple. But he also did other miracles there among the people during that visit. And once again, it's John who tells us about it. In chapter 2 of John, down in verse 23, he says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, what does it say? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now, at, at that point in time, we would think we had a great revival and we're going to bring them all into the church. We're going to sign them up on our rolls. We're going to put them busy about doing the work of the church. But listen to what, it hap- what happens when Jesus is involved in this. What does it say? But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I bring this out because there's this major thing that's happening here, and it's all too easy just to pass it by. As we've been going through Luke, for those of you that have been with us in the study of Luke, you you know that on more than one occasion that the people, particularly the people of Capernaum, oh, they were impressed by Jesus. 
They were amazed at his teaching. They were, they were overwhelmed the fact, man, he drove a, a demon out of this guy. That is awesome. But what have we been saying about Capernaum along this way? There was no repentance. They were impressed by him. They were excited about Jesus. Oh, they loved a Jesus that could heal their diseases, cast out their demons, and fill their pantries. Who wouldn't want a Jesus like that? But I'm not committing my life to that. I just want you to heal my diseases. I just want you to cast out my demons. I just want you to fill my pantries. Can't we just leave it at that? Jesus knew the heart of all men. He didn't commit himself to them. Why? Because they were impressed. And maybe they even believed. Maybe they believed that he was the Messiah. But as we shared last week, he, for them, he was just a fix-it Messiah. Because there was no surrender of their lives to the leading of Christ in their lives. They might have one time been detractors who feel that they're now supporters, but they haven't really signed in at all. At best, right now, they're still observers. They're on the outside looking in. Wow, that is great. That is awesome. Hand me some more nachos, please. They're not really a part of it. Here in John chapter 2, we see the same thing. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, for he knew what was in man. Armchair quarterbacks. A lot to say about the game, but not really in the game. They've even got the lingo down. They know how the game is played. They even know the rules of the game. They know some of the players of the game. They might even know the history of the game, but they're not in the game. They're on the outside looking in. That's why on this very same visit to Jerusalem, still here in John, that John shows us where Jesus now meets up with this Pharisee this man by the name of Nicodemus, one of the, one of the Sanhedrin who comes to him uh, covered by night. He, he doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. He's very curious about all of this. And so he comes to Jesus by night, and we see this in John chapter 3. Nick had apparently been one of those who were impressed by Jesus, but his life, catch this, his life had not been changed at this point. As a matter of fact, he even told Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's almost like a profession of faith, isn't it? There's no commitment there. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Jesus responds to him, wow, thank you very much, Nick. I'm glad you realize these aspects of my life. It's not what he said. Jesus tells this very religious man who confesses that Jesus is from God. Listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, a guy that's led by logic, he said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus comes back to the point. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So if you're tracking with me, what we see here up to this point, 
this, this enormous amount of people, they've made this intellectual acceptance of who Jesus was. There was perhaps even an emotional response to the activity and the actions of Christ in their life. But there was no rebirth. No rebirth because there was no repentance. I could probably raise my hand in any gathering of probably just about any uh, city in the United States, perhaps even around the world. And if they had some concept of heaven, say, who wants to go to heaven? And hands all over the auditorium or all over the crowd would say, absolutely, I want to go to heaven. You want to go to hell? Well, no, I want to go to heaven. And come forward and pray this prayer. Are people born again at that point? Has there been repentance? Has there truly been a turning of their heart and life over to Christ? Or are they simply signing up for the trip? These, at this point, they're only observers. They're sitting on the outside, looking in. This large amount of people, they've responded to Jesus and his ministry. The masses of the people following his miracles. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, recognized that he was from God. Even the ones that he's later going to call disciples and even the apostles. They've made this intellectual, they've made this emotional response. And yet from what we see in the scripture record, not a full commitment at this point in time. And again, observers at best, but not quite that commitment of being a supporter. To put it in another way, there is what is called the visible church. The visible church is the amount of people that enter every church, everything that says it's a church, every place that meets, whether it be on a Saturday or a Sunday or wherever it might meet. The visible church are the attendees to meetings all throughout the world. That's the visible church. You look and say, wow, that church has a lot of people in the parking lot. There's a lot of believers there. Are there really? Or are there just a lot of people there? There's a difference between the visible church and the true church. The true church are those of you who have made a true, not only profession of faith, but a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. And I've repented of my sin, and I turn my life to Christ. A lot of people are part of the visible church, but they're not a part of the true church because the true church calls for commitment of a life. That's why Jesus so often said to take up your cross daily if you're going to follow me. That's why Jesus says you've got to be willing to die if you're going to follow me. That's why Jesus says if you're following me and you keep looking back, you know what? You're not worthy of following me. Jesus kind of draws the line pretty harshly and per pretty clearly. I quite often find Jesus is not seeker sensitive. That's why the rich young ruler that came to him says, hey, how can I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, all the law and everything. The rich young ruler says, yeah, I've done all that. I've done all that. And Jesus says, well, there's only one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, let me ask you this question. Is the kingdom of God about money? Shake your head like this because it's not, okay? God doesn't need any, okay? It's not about money, but it's about the heart of that individual. How committed are you to following Christ? What is it that Christ would call you to do that you would say, up to that point, up to that point? How deep is your commitment? How real is your commitment? And an even more important question, is there commitment in your life? Now coming back to Luke's record, back to your left again. We saw the events, and when we were going through chapter 4 of Luke, we saw the events as Jesus taught in his home synagogue there in Nazareth. 
and how the people totally rejected Jesus, totally rejected his message. These were detractors, clearly understandable. We know they're not part of the kingdom. Then we went on to Capernaum, and here the people in Capernaum, they received his message, but didn't fully respond to his message. They loved the miracles, but they had not moved into that living participation. Why? Because Jesus says that there was no repentance within the people of Capernaum. And even though the Lord had told them now that he's going to go and move on and preach to other areas, he actually wasn't finished with the people of Capernaum. He continues teaching them, and that's where we come to this morning in chapter 5. So all of that was prelude to the message. Now we're starting the message, okay? Chapter 5 and verse 1, and so it was, the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, all the same, same body of water, different names for it, okay? They're just outside the area of Capernaum. They're along the shore of the sea there. Jesus continues to teach. And so in verse 2 it says, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. You need to understand this, and the reason I throw this in here is these guys who had been following him, Simon and Andrew, James and John, what were they doing? Were they with Jesus as he teaches? No, they had, they had already gone back to fishing. They're back to mending their nets. Commitment of their life was not where it will soon be. They're close, but they're not there yet. Verse 3 says, Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and he asked Peter to put out from the land a little bit. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. A great way to teach. You're away from the crowds. They're not pressing in on you. And if you've ever been on a lake where it's nice and smooth, how sound can travel through there. It's got its built-in acoustic system. So right there, he's, he's teaching them from the boat. And when he's finished, it's interesting. Luke doesn't tell us at all what he's teaching here because that's not the point that Luke's going to bring out. Luke brings out the point actually in verse 4. He says, when he finished or when he had stopped speaking... He said to Simon, Simon, let's launch out into the deep and let's let down your nets for, for a catch. Let's, let's go fishing, Peter. But Simon answered him and said, Rabbi, I, I, you're a rabbi. I'm a fisherman. We fished all night. That's the way fishermen do, by the way, rabbi. We don't fish in the middle of the day with all the sunlight. No, we do it either early, early in the morning or all through the night. We've fished all night. We've caught nothing, but you know what? If, if you want me to let down the net, I'll let down the net. Ain't nothing going to happen, rabbi. I'm the fisherman. You the rabbi. Keep the places together. I can just imagine, you know. You handle the spiritual stuff, I'll take care of all the heavy lifting, okay? I'll humor you, Lord. I don't think anything's going to happen. But nevertheless, at your word... I will let down the net. Why do I say that? Not only because of the verbiage of, of what's going on here, but also the response of it all. He let out the net, and it would seem that in, in, in the verbiage, in the way that it's written, that it's almost an immediate turnaround. It's not that he had to let the nets hang out there for a while. No, it's almost right away. They drew their nets in, and the memories and the frustration of an empty night's catch was suddenly and quickly replaced by the fullness and the overflowing of these nets. So much so, in verse 6, it says that when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Verse 8, 
when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Is that because Peter found a better fisherman than he was? No. I think that Peter recognized probably for the first time the greatness, the majesty, the might, and the power of who Jesus really is. Yeah, his, his mother-in-law was healed of, of, a, of a great fever just a day or so before. We understand that. But here at this point and at this place, there's something that is so powerful. He's, he's hitting Peter right where he lives. Peter is a fisherman. He knows this stuff. And now Jesus comes and literally blows his mind. And Peter is suddenly just so overwhelmed with that might and that majesty and the reality of who Jesus is. It says in verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Probably in all their days, the best catch they had ever had was never even anything close to this, filling up two boats even to the point of almost sinking those boats. The impact on Peter was life-changing. For Peter, I think right now, right there, a change of heart was taking place. He fell down at Jesus' knees, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Later on, it's Peter also that makes that declaration. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I believe that even in that declaration, that, that's a, that is a growing declaration from, and maturing declaration from where Peter is this day while he's out on the boat. Right now, he, he recognizes he's the Messiah, and he recognizes the greatness of his own sin, and he recognizes Jesus for who he is. But I believe in Peter's life, just as in your life and in mine, the longer that we're with Christ, the more impact that he has in our life, the more we begin to understand who he is, his place, his majesty, his, his purpose, our purpose to that point that Peter later on says, wow, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His growth still isn't perfect. We, we know that, but we do see that it's growing deeper in the Lord. We know that because in the balance of the scripture records, we see that Peter goes on to blow it several times. We know that he's the one that actually denies our Lord. We recognize him as that bold and brash one, mighty and powerful to speak his mind whenever it came through him, even if his mind wasn't in gear, his mouth was. Except that night in the courtyard, that young maid says, wait a minute, aren't, aren't you one of his followers? They kept pressing the point and pressing the point to the point that he began to swear. And when it says that he swore, it's not like, well, I swear that I'm not one. No, he began to curse, I believe. I believe he began to swear and curse to get as far away from the language of a disciple to separate himself from connection with the Lord. This big, bold, brash fisherman cut down by a little maid. But it's also Peter that we see in the greatest events in the ministry of Jesus. The Mount of Transfiguration, the uh, multitude of the different miracles that he did. It's Peter that the Lord allowed there. It's that kind of confession that we see in Peter. It's that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus will use powerfully for his kingdom's work. Here in Luke, Jesus turns to Peter and says to him, don't be afraid because from now on you're going to catch men. And I believe it's this point that we see that direct call of Christ on these men's lives. No longer just observers. No longer even just supporters. Oh yes, we believe in Jesus. We want to follow. Now they are participants in the kingdom's work. 
They're going to actually be participants in what God's plan and purpose is for them in the world that they lived in. And it says now that those four, they forsook all and began to follow him. And beloved, it's only when you and I get to that place and portion in our life that we're really going to see the power and the majesty and the might and the awesomeness of Almighty God working and moving in our lives. He may not be calling you to quit your job and go into full-time ministry. Maybe some he is, but he may not be. Not everybody were among the 12. You understand that, right? There were many that were participants in the work of the kingdom who weren't, again, following Jesus in that everyday aspect of walking side by side. No, they followed him in their hearts and in their lives in the position and the place that they were planted. And by and large, that's the call on every one of our lives. Where you are planted, where God has you today, are you a committed participant within the kingdom's work? Or as a believer, are you simply a supporter. Yeah, I'm saved, but I don't want to go down there on the field. I see those guys down on the field. They get knocked around a lot. I'd rather sit up here in the stands, have some more nachos. Because you see, when you commit your heart and life to Christ in that fullness of a committed way, it says, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you want, I will do. I want to be a participant in the kingdom's work because I want to see your glory worked out in my life. And you're going to be beat around. You're going to be knocked sideways, upside one side and down the other. Why? Because the enemy hates participators. Because the participators are the ones who are making a difference in the kingdom. The participators are the ones that are impacting the world that's around them. The sad reality is, is even within the true church, those who know Christ, it's not unlike a football game. How many supporters, how many spectators in the fields? Thousands and thousands. But the participators are only a few. That's the sad reality of the church today. Oh, to God that it were reversed and that there were thousands upon thousands on the field participating in bringing the kingdom's work about. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're simply an observer. You've seen, you've heard the message of Christ, his crucifixion, the forgiveness of your sin that's available through, again, coming by faith to him, receiving him as your Lord and Savior. You've heard it, you've observed it, you think it's a great idea, but you've never entered in yourself. You might be here this morning simply as an observer. Beloved observers are not part of the kingdom. And according to God's word, because they're not a part of the kingdom, their eternity is forever separated from God. You can be a good religious person like Nicodemus, but unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You can be a good religious and active person, participating in, in, in some form or fashion, but not really wholly sold out to Christ. Where are you in your life this morning? Are you active and busy about many things? Are you actually a participant in the kingdom's work? Do you know Christ and him crucified? Have you given your heart and life to him? Or for you as a believer, are you simply a supporter? Or have you moved in to those ones who serve the Lord with a whole heart and serve his church? Man, you're, you're, you're being used by God in a way that just totally amazes you. Open our hearts, change us from within.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.